We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, before we get started, I wanted to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, just go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com join. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the Timeline Podcast, and no, your ears are not deceiving you. This is not the voice of Mike V. Hill. Uh, Mike had to be out of town this weekend, and as a result, left the duties of recording the podcast to me. Luckily, though I will not be speaking solo in your ears for an entire hour, I brought on a fantastic guest to help me out, and he is a longtime friend of the Timeline Pod, the former host of the former Seven Seconds or Less podcast, which was a fantastic podcast about the Phoenix Suns, um, and just 
but friend to all of us on Sun's Twitter, Max McCauley. Uh, Max, how, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for that very warm introduction. That would be pretty impressive, though, Sam, if you did the whole podcast by yourself. I'm always impressed by people who can do 40 minutes just by themselves. I don't even know how that's possible. I've actually done it before, not about basketball, but but back in college, I uh, did hockey coverage by myself. It, it was a slog, wow. and, and it was really boring and not interesting to listen to, so I figured uh, we would be in pretty bad shape if we had to do that here today. So I'm, gl- I'm glad to have you on. Also, I'm glad to have you on longtime listeners should recognize you by now, I think, because we've had you on multiple times uh, a season to do our over-under episodes. But I think mm. it's kind of nice to get you on under different constraints than that, where we can sort of sure. just like freely talk about how you're feeling about the season and, and not so much just making over-under predictions. Yeah, well, definitely, especially because the team is playing so well, right? We're a pretty solid four seed right now, which is yes, no, not something we could have said since 2000. 10? I don't know. I don't remember. In the 2014 season, did we ever get that high in the standings? I don't think so. Not this late. I, I don't think so. And, and the final pace they finished on that season was 48 and 34. And nowhere close to, to 19 and 10, like, win percentage-wise. Right. Um, I will say, right now, like, the, the, the Suns are coming off a couple of wins this weekend. Uh, a really interesting one against New Orleans. Uh, and then just a blowout last night against Memphis. We'll save that for a, a little while from now. So we will cover that later in the episode. But what I will say for now is... In the month of February, the Suns are tied for Utah for the most wins in the NBA. They're 9-2, and two. Utah is 9-1, and one, and the Suns have the second-best net rating in the NBA, a plus 8.5 per 100 possessions. Only the Utah Jazz are better. So, it's really remarkable, and we should have one more win than we have. <laughs> we'll probably talk about that a little later. That, uh, <laughs> we, uh, what, did, what did Chris Paul call that game? Uh, dumbass law, something like that. Uh, so, so I don't think it was that explicit, but it was. It was, it was, it was, to that it was pretty close. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, look. Here's here's how we're going to start off the episode today. The All Star news, I think, is is pretty important mm-hmm. because it's going to drop at some point this week. Um, and, and so I wanted to get your thoughts first of all. Here's why I think it's an interesting conversation. So we know who the starters are now. Obviously, I think uh, we all understand that there are only two realistic options for the Suns to, to get an All-Star this year, and that's Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And there's mm-hmm. probably anywhere from three to four, probably four guard spots remaining mm-hmm. for the reserves of who can realistically make it. Um, I think it's an interesting conversation because, uh, well, I guess here's where I would start with it. In the past, Max, it's always kind of seemed like uh, when we knew that the Suns were for sure not making the playoffs... Uh, we wanted Devin Booker to get into the All-Star game kind of as a way to to defend his honor. Suns sure. fans really, really cared about this last year. This year, uh, it don't get me wrong, there are a lot of conversations online about it. I'm at the heart of many of those conversations. But when you're 19-10, and 10, uh, seem to be more or less a guaranteed playoff team. It, it doesn't necessarily feel like the consequences are as dire. Do you care about the All-Star game this year? Uh, and just kind of what are your thoughts on it generally? It's a really good question. Uh, I think you definitely nailed it when you pointed out the fact that, you know, in the past you don't have anything else to think about. So it's really, you know, whether Devin Booker is going to make the All-Star game or not is literally the only thing worth uh, thinking about or discussing with, with respect to the Suns the last couple of seasons. Now you have a really good basketball team to watch and enjoy, so there's a lot more to talk about. But I do still think it's important. Uh, you know, particularly because, I mean, we'll get into it a little bit later, but I think one of the players in the Suns clearly deserves to be an all-star. And based on your tweets, I know you agree with that. So that will be frustrating <laughs> if he doesn't make it, especially because he's made it so many times before, spoiler alert. 
Um, so I think that would be really frustrating. But I, I do think that part's interesting. But I think the other part about this is so interesting, Sam, is you know we've always been on the other side of the uh, do you do you factor winning in to who you choose argument mm-hmm. versus uh, you know just individual performance. And so it's very interesting, particularly because the other player that I didn't just allude to he's maybe not having as good of a season as he had last year. And so his argument is more based on the team success around him. So it's just, I think the the whole inverse relationship of how we've usually discussed this makes it really fascinating this year. Well, can I, can I just say like the inverse relationship on it makes it a really interesting look at kind of, uh, how, how do I put it? Tribalism. Um, mm. I, I'm trying really hard to not be hypocritical in, in some, mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. some of my critiques of other players this year uh, because the things that I used to say about uh, Devin Booker, I think we can all say who you were talking about there, the things mm. I used to say about Devin Booker last year and in years past, um, I, I want, I really did believe them, you know, and so yep. I, I want the logic to stay consistent for year to year. But I think it'll be interesting here as we talk about it. Um, let's start with Chris Paul. Chris okay. Paul, I guess, here, here's here's my plug. I'll only do it once. Uh, we just put out a video on our YouTube channel about why Chris Paul should be an all-star. You should go watch it if you haven't. You should subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't yet. Um, but, uh, you know, in trying to come up with the argument for why he should be an all-star, it's a multifaceted thing. I think, A, it's the fact that the Suns are 19 and 10. They're a top four seed in the Western Conference. Um, but also just so much of the impact that, that the Suns have been able to win this many games in the first place, you can trace directly back to Chris Paul. And if you're an advanced stats guy, you can look at the advanced stats and say he's been fantastic. If you're a traditional stats guy, you can look at his stat line and and, and look at... I mean, I honestly think right now, Max, uh, if you look at Chris Paul's like per 36-minute stat line, I'm not sure enough Suns fans have realized he's averaging 20 points, 10 assists mm-hmm. on 50-40-90 shooting essentially now. It, it feels different in 2021 because there's a higher level of offensive superstardom overall in the league right now, right? So it feels different. Yep. But what Chris Paul is doing in 2021 is basically it's a Steve Nash-esque stat line. Like, that's that's how good it's been. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think if there's any one guy, I'll, I'll preface by saying this. If the Suns, I want both Devin Booker and Chris Paul to make the All-Star game. And we'll talk about the other candidates in a second. Um, but if they do only get one guy... I do think that Chris Paul has to be that guy. I'm pretty firmly established in, in that opinion by now. Uh, what do you think? I, I mean, I totally agree with you on that. I, I think I said this to you on Twitter when you said something along those lines the other day. It's like, if you've been watching this team the whole season, you it's inescapable that Chris Paul has been their best player. And you point out the offensive stats, which are very good, extremely good. He's the best offensive player on the team. But the defensive impact, I think, is also something that can't be overlooked. The Suns went from being a bad-ish, mediocre-ish to bad defense last year to being a really good defense this year. And, I mean, it's not all Chris Paul, but I think it is a lot his impact on the team and the culture, right? He gets them playing consistently. You can't – every single team that Chris Paul goes to becomes good defensively all of a sudden. It's not an accident, right? It's because yeah. he is the true floor general on both sides of the floor. It's what makes him so impactful. And, and as you pointed out, the advanced stats, all the impact stats love him. I actually – so, I, like you, I try to go into this being as objective as possible, particularly given, you know, the past we've had to really look at stats versus team performance uh, when trying to get our own guy in. So I wanted to – you know, I always want to focus on stats first, and then I go to team performance sort of as a tiebreaker. When I went and looked at this – so let's, let's go ahead and look at what it is, right? So there's three reserves for front court, two guard reserves, and two wild cards, right? Mm-hmm. So we're focusing more on the guard reserves and the wild cards, obviously. Sure. The, the pool there is it's Dame, CP3, Booker, Mitchell, Conley, DeRozan, SGA, De'Aaron Fox, John Morant for the guards. That's who I had. Do you have anybody else in there? 
I honestly forgot even about DeRozan. I had everyone except DeRozan. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. reminded me that it's a very wide pool. I tried to cast as wide a net as possible. So, you know, obviously Dame's in there. and No one's going to debate that. He could yeah. have been a starter. But after that, just looking at all this, all these, all these names and all the stats and all that, CP3 to me just stood out as the lock. I mean, I, like I mean all the impact measures, all the traditional stats, he's great in all that stuff, Sam. It's really hard to balance the team performance and the individual stuff, right? Because, like, mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell has not had that good of a season from an individual standpoint. He's had a great season. Yep. Utah wouldn't be where they are without him. But, like, he's a lock, right? Whether he deserves it or not. <laughs> or I think not, so. I think he so. has to be a lock, just with Utah in the number one seed. So I think, yeah, I think the conversation now is, it seems like we're on the same page. Dame is a lock. Donovan Mitchell is a lock. We both think CP3 should make it. That means if Booker's going to make it, he's getting the wild card spot. Yep. And the wild card spot, I, I mean, let's, how about this? I'm just going to list off all of those other names. In comparison to Devin Booker, maybe tell me on a scale of, of 0 to 10 how disgusted you would be if <laughs> if okay. each of these guys okay. was was sure. chosen. So, I mean, like, let's start with John Morant. John Morant is a guy, I, I only saw him listed on one ballot, and I think it was Kendrick Perkins. <laughs> that tells you something. Yeah. Uh, I know he's been pro Suns this season, but it still tells you something. Um, so he was one of the guys who, when I looked at the set comparison, he was just obviously a cut. There's no, there's really no argument. I'd be, is 10 really disgusted? I'd be 10. Yeah, and, and DeRozan? Uh, you, you did talk about casting a wide net. His argument's actually better than you'd think. I mean, the Spurs That's, obviously yeah. have a really good record, not a good margin necessarily, but a, a good record. His his stats are actually pretty good. I would not be that disgusted with him. I would, I'd be in the in the, the three range, I guess. And the other thing there, too, is you, you if it's somebody who's also on a winning team, you don't get disgusted by it, right? Because at least they're being consistent. That's true. And, and, well, and that's why I think it makes it interesting. Like, when you get to Mike Conley... Yeah. In no way, shape, or form has Mike Conley. I'll read you off his stats right now. He's averaging 16.5 points, 3.5 rebounds, 5.6 assists per game. In no way, shape, or form has he had a better season than than even Chris Paul. He hasn't and had yet, a better season than Chris Paul. I would agree with that. But have you seen his impact stats, Dan? I know. I've seen I've seen the impact <laughs> stats. But but I just there's a part of me that just doesn't believe it. Because mm-hmm. I think the Utah, the Utah case is like, and I know a lot of people have made this comparison, but you think about that 2015 Hawks team. That mm-hmm. had like four all stars when they didn't deserve it. I I think there's there's this phenomenon of of conflating just a top record with actually having top tier talent. I mean, occasionally yeah. we we just have these 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 teams that are just so deep, and and Utah is just one of those teams that they have eight starters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm not talking about the five starters plus the three refs. Uh, I guess that would, be, <laughs> that would be that would be eleven starters. But but like just on their bench between Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles and Derek Favors, they have three guys who could start on most teams in the NBA. So yeah, and by the way, Jordan Clarkson's somebody who, if he played more and had the same stats, he'd probably be in this conversation too. I saw a legit... Who was it? It was Charles Barkley the other day who said Jordan Clarkson should be an all-star over, over wow. Anthony Davis. And obviously that's Charles Barkley, so you don't... Look, you, you take it with a grain of salt. Sure. But it speaks to how good that team has been. So like, I, I almost think Mike Conley has been great, but the difference between him and... And Ingles and Bogdanovich and Clarkson is like marginal enough, uh, marginal enough that you have to kind of draw a line somewhere. And and I, I just don't really see the the argument for that team deserving three three guys. So I fully agree with that. And we should probably mention in case anybody doesn't know, like Rudy Gobert is definitely making it as a front court player. So we are talking about three versus two, not two versus one. Um, so I I actually have Conley in and not Mitchell. 
And I think it's because... You're, you're crazy. <laughs> that You have to be the only person on planet Earth with that. I think. Well, the impact stats are just so ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> I, mean and I think some of that is inflated. Like you're, you're saying, they're just, it's just a really good team. But among the good players on the team, he is the one the impact stats love the most. I, I think Ra- Raptor or whatever that one's called that... Uh, 538 has has him like the third best player in the league or something yeah I I don't think he's that good but I do think the biggest difference between last year's Utah team and this year's Utah team is that Mike Conley just brought consistency to this offense and I know I know that he was out for a little while there and they still played well while he was out but I think he kind of established sort of the way they're playing this year more so I think that it's helped everybody on that team Uh, it's kind of that beautiful offense thing they have going on right now because mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell, he's a great player, but he's not that. He's a high volume guy, right? If if, it's, if you just live, if you just lead the offense to him, he's just going to shoot a whole lot. And whether if he makes a lot of shots, good. If he doesn't, he doesn't. And he's like you said, his stats are not that much different from last season. They're kind of the same. Uh, I think his, his playmaking is a little bit better, but his scoring efficiency is, continues to be not very good. He's just not a very efficient scorer overall. Yeah. Mike Conley, his efficiency is very very high, and you're right that his per game numbers will jump out at you. But like, I think his per numbers are better. And like I said, the the impact. And I do think Utah deserves one or deserves two starters, Gobert and one of the guards. I would just I would just choose Conley. Yeah, it's interesting because like uh, you know, coaches. We have to remember who's voting on this. It's the coaches. Yeah. Coaches know stats, and and they're not dumb about stats. Like they understand what impact is. Uh, that's honestly why I'm feeling pretty confident about the coaches making the right decision regarding CP3. If they don't, I'll be very disappointed because they really do understand impact. But that being said, I think reputation just means so much. And so the thing, the thing that I can't get past when thinking about Conley is if I'm a coach, I'm thinking about who do I design my defensive game plan around to stop? Like when they, when they're looking down a list of guys and they see Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley next to each other. And, you know, this is a Suns podcast, so we should drag his name back into it, mm-hmm. Devin Booker, they're thinking about, I think what bodes well for Booker is they're thinking about how do we stop Devin Booker? And also yep. they're thinking about how do we stop Donovan Mitchell when they play the Jazz. I just, I'm not convinced that that they're saying those same things about Mike Conley. They're kind of more willing to let him beat them um, if he can prove it, especially after the last couple seasons he's had. So it's not that, you know, I disagree with you that his impact has been great, but I just wonder, I, I, I think you'd be really hard pressed to deny that leading score on the number one seed in the Western Conference an all-star spot. Yeah, but, I, I, and to be fair, I think it's going to happen. Like, I don't think right. Conley's going to make it. I think Mitchell's going to make it. Just, if I were if I were emperor of the NBA and making the, the roster, I would have Conley in over him. Uh, I do agree with you. I think CP3's... I, 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 I mean, this might come back to bite me, but he feels like a lock to me. I really it. hope I really hope he is. I mean, because like, you have to lose your spot when you've made it, what is it, like 11 or 12 times Aaron has made it. Like That's kind of yeah. how this works with the coaches. They don't they don't won't take it away from you. Even if you're having a borderline like under other guys' season, someone has to like, take it from you. And no one's done that here. With CP3, I mean, he's going to be on the team, I think. I mean, again, it's a different NBA than it was 10 years ago, but I remember years where Nash, first of all, made it, averaging like 12 and 10. Mm-hmm. I remember years where Duncan made it in his late 30s, averaging like 13 and 10 for the Spurs. Reputation goes a really long way with these guys, I think. So I think, yeah, I, I really hope CP3 is a lock. I think the last thing we can say, just to, to finish off this conversation, where it gets really interesting is kind of where the two schools of thought come to a head. And, and this is how you introduce the conversation, right? De'Aaron Fox and Shea Gilgis-Alexander are two young guys who are having good seasons. Like, they're legitimately having good seasons. De'Aaron Fox is here. He's averaging 23-7, and um, and and Shea is averaging 22-5-6. Like, they're having good seasons. Their teams just aren't winning games. And so, if you're a Suns fan, obviously you want to use the logic that was used against Devin Booker. (laughs) Yeah, and right. not necess- and not 
above all, not necessarily turn the other cheek here and say that Devin Booker makes it over those guys. However, I will say, you know, as someone who's been obsessing over this media person's ballot or that person's ballot a little bit too much, some people are picking Fox or Shea. Um, I, I think KOC, who, you know, it was on this podcast a few weeks ago and Suns fans, um, a guy who Suns fans have a lot of respect for. KOC put CP3 on with one of his wildcard spots. He did not choose Booker with the other one. He went with Shea uh, instead, which I thought was a bold move. Yeah, it is. And I think so, again, when I went and compared these guys closely, uh, Fox fell off like Morant. If you look at this, all the holistic stats and everything, he just isn't having as good of a season. SGA, though, is closer. But again, I think this is where, I, I think you could say statistically SGA and Booker are having very similar seasons, honestly. That's, they're kind of about you know, playing about an equal level. So that's when you can kind of get the nod to winning. And to be fair to uh, KOC and other guys like that, like three weeks ago, the stats look different, right? It's true. <laughs> Booker's been a lot better lately. I think that's one thing that's going to help his case is his February, his, he's just been much, much better than he was before. He's trending upward. And I think sometimes when you're picking these spots, especially when you're in a season like this where it's so compressed, like we're, we're picking these way earlier than we normally would, uh, like percentage of the season through, um, you kind of want to project a little bit too. You don't want your pick to look stupid at the end of the year because you picked it based on a sample of 30 games or whatever. So I think Devin Booker is going to benefit from that. He has more of a track record. He was an all-star last year. Again, that that really, really helps you is to have that name recognition that you were in the game last year. You didn't lose your spot. You're playing well enough, so why would you give it to somebody else. I think that's sometimes rightly or wrongly how this gets looked at by the coaches. So if I actually am predicting what's going to happen here, I think Booker's going to make it and CP3's going to I think they're both going to make it with Mitchell. I don't think Conley will make it. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Rosa makes it over Booker, but that's where I'm leaning with it right now. It's kind of silly, but like, doesn't it feel like, like if they beat Portland tomorrow, that's mm-hmm. a big game. We can talk about that later. Mm-hmm. But if the, if the coaches are voting on this any day, like I think they're voting a couple days from now, Mm-hmm. being 20 and 10 versus being like 17 and 13 makes a huge difference <laughs> it feels Absolutely. like especially and, if Booker's a huge game in that game and he's like the reason they win the game or whatever right. it would be recently biased right it's really that close where it feels like yeah. any game makes a big difference and so I think we're settled here I, I mean we want both of them to make it I think I think at the very least one of them is definitely make it I, yeah. I'd like to say both are um, but I think it's just going to be one of those things. It, it kind of depends on the next couple days, and it'll come down to the wire, and we'll see. The last um, thing we should mention, because it may happen, is Zion could make it. Absolutely. Um, but I, uh, Davis is probably going to be out of this thing. I'm, we're guessing, right. right? Anthony Davis, he'll, he'll be vote, he'll be selected, but he won't play. So Zion's a natural replacement for him. I don't. Can you, do you call if if a front court player is out? You have to. Re- you can place him with anybody, right? It doesn't have to be a front court player. You can replace him with anybody. Um, I think yeah. they're probably more likely to replace it with a front court player, but you can do it with anyone. Okay, so I think if Zion if Zion makes the team on the first ballot through the coaches, then I think that it's probably more likely that they would give it to a guard. But if because like Zion's probably going to be on the team, is I guess the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> if right. I think it'll probably be through injury replacement with Davis. That's why I didn't talk about him a whole lot because I think he's making it that way. Well, and that's that's a pretty good segue actually because Zion's a guy who's given the Suns some trouble. Um, yeah. So I I want to move on to kind of just the last week in general and and really the last couple of weeks. We we started off the episode by talking about the Suns have been uh the second best record in the nba in february max it's it's been a really interesting uh (laughs) stretch for the suns because they're winning games but i think we need to talk about it in in the context of this is a team that's doing a lot of things that are perplexing to us is is that how you would put it too yeah they are extremely perplexing they it's a a team i mean everybody in the nba is sort of this way to some extent because of how much three-point shooting matters you know the variableness to it there's a lot of ups and downs with the Suns, but I, I think the whole league in general, but I think the Suns are particularly that way. 
Here's here's where I'll start with it. Uh, I think you know we should start with the good news. This team is nineteen yep. to ten. It's you know don't want to bum people out. Obviously, the Suns are great, and I think the really nice thing is over the past couple weeks, um, over the, over the past week, we've seen a thirty-one point blowout against the Grizzlies. We also saw a twenty-point blowout against the Magic. Um, it feels like our greatest fears earlier in the season, like when they blew a game to Detroit and Washington, um, are not being realized as much anymore. If you're a legitimate contending team, you need to take care of business against below 500 teams. And so I think something that's really encouraging we've seen from the Suns over the past couple weeks is uh, we have games like we saw last night where they don't let bad teams back into the game and they just take care of business and, and kind of sleepwalk their way to victory. And I think if you're if you're a fan it's easy to sort of take that thing for granted and, and not necessarily have as much fun watching the game. Yep. But just to speak for myself, like I was having a ton of fun watching the game last night, at least especially, you know, in the first half and then and then maybe not as much in the fourth quarter when uh, something I've <laughs> talked about with Mike before, I really wish this team had, just a, a quick aside, I really wish this team had more fun players to play in like the fourth quarter of blowing. They have games. one, man. He's just in the G League right now. I know, and we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll touch on that later too. Um, but... I don't think Suns fans should take that for granted. This team taking care of business against bad teams. Agree. And I, I think a big difference, and I think something that gets a little overlooked, although we all know it, but I just don't think we talk about it quite enough, is this team didn't have two of its better players uh, for a while, and that was sure. Sharich and, and Campaign. And you really are seeing their impact lately. Those guys have been really, really good this season. And, you know, I don't know if they're going to continue being this good. I, I, I mean, Campaign is starting to make it impossible not to believe it. Well, they, real quick, I want to ask you this. I have this written down, so I might as well get to it now since I just brought his name up. So Campaign went 5 for 7 from 3 uh, against the Grizzlies last night. He's up to 45.7% on the season. You know, famously, he was above 50% in the bubble. Is that from All 3? The, that's from 3, yeah. Oof. Altogether, since joining the Suns, he's shot 48% on 75 attempts from three now. So I guess my question for you is, like, how real do you think this is? How, how good of a shooter well, is campaign? Uh, it, it's a hard question. It's a good question, but it's a hard question. I'm not a shot doctor. What I like about campaign... Okay, I'll, I'll be honest. 48% or whatever, like, that's not... Eventually, no. that will regress. But I think the idea is, as long as he can settle in the 35 to 40 range, like, slightly above average, Campaign has shown us that he has enough other skills that it doesn't matter, and I think that's the beauty of it. Um, first of all, it, it was really nice to see him. He had 19 points and, and 7 assists last night. A lot of those points did come in, in garbage time, but still, it was nice to see Campaign have a good game again, because... You're right. It did feel like it, like it's been a while. Um, I think what I really like about campaign more, more so than kind of any other player on this roster, uh, he's shooting the stat I have here. He's shooting forty-two percent on pull-up threes this year. Mm. That's really important. And and like I think, <laughs> I think tomorrow in the game against Portland, we're we're gonna see just how important it is because they're like the king of that. Even without right. CJ McCollum, they've got Damian Lillard. They've got all these shooters who just pull up from three. Having a guy off the bench in bench units when, when Chris Paul and Devin Booker are sitting who can just pull up in rhythm into that three-point shot, it's not like campaign does it a lot. He does it, you know, maybe one or two times a game. I think yesterday he might might have done it like three times. Um, but having a guy who you actually trust when he's going into that position is such a privilege, and, and I really don't think it can be understated. It was um, the one of the main things that I wanted James Jones to cover this offseason. And I was a little disappointed when they didn't bring in another outside guy who could do it because I didn't believe that campaign could honestly do it. But at mm -hmm. this point in the season, what I will say is I don't know if 48% three-point shooting is real. You know, that, that means he's shooting like 50% on spot-up threes or whatever. But I do think he has a nice, repeatable pull-up shooting form and he's comfortable taking that shot. 
And that confidence is really nice to see, and it's a massive privilege in a bench guy. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, I th- yeah, 48%, obviously, he'd be like the, one of the best three-point shooters in NBA history. If he was <laughs> right. shooting that, it's, that's not where he's going to shoot. But, you know, when you say if you get from 35 to 40 from him, it'd be great. You know it would be really, really great? If you get the 40 rather than the 35, right? If he's yeah. shooting 40% from three, that just makes him a really, really interesting bench guard. And, you know, if, if you can keep that up, especially the pull-up stuff, it could be a potential starter down the line. That's what you need a starting point guard to do. Um, but I'm with you. I mean, I think campaign has proven that he's reliable and... and, and I, I think that we underrated how much it matters to have him in the game. He also pushes the pace really well, Sam. Something yeah. I like about him, we don't have that as much when he's out. I like some of our other guards. Like I think each one more has been really good for us. Uh, Langston Galloway is obviously just completely ridiculous from three. Um, but Campaign is the only guy who kind of like can give these Suns another look on offense. He's, he kind of is the antithesis of what CP3 does. CP3 is much more slow down. And I think the Suns need some of that, especially with their second unit when they have some of the younger guys like Cam Johnson, I think, plays well with that kind of speed on the court. So it's, it's nice to have that look. Uh, you mentioned the pull-up three being so important, and that's, I think, a nice segue to the other thing I had written down that I want to talk to you about is Devin Booker. Uh, he shot well from three last night, Sam, but he hasn't been shooting well from three very much this season or really ever on the bubble, I think he did. But otherwise, right. in his career, he really hasn't, except for you know three-point shootouts in the All-Star break. Um, so how important do you think it is for him to be able to add that tool to his game? You know, the Damian Lillard tool. He's the, that's the kind really, of person you think about, right? That's so what a do you really think? interesting question because didn't, we didn't plan this. Like, I didn't know that you were going to ask me that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's everything. Mm-hmm. That's my honest opinion. And I've been holding my tongue on it because Devin Booker is... Uh, first of all, you know, I have a certain emotional connection to Devin Booker. But, but also, like, Devin Booker has proven legitimately that he has basically every move in his bag when it comes to the offensive repertoire at this point you know he's got a, a crazy post-up game he's got the mid-range game um he's a fantastic finisher we, we've seen him shoot like 70 percent at the rim in in past seasons which is like as good as anthony davis he's got every move also you know uh, again just as an aside it was nice to see him get like some spot-up looks last night like campaign yep. was creating for for Devin Booker corner threes last night at a certain point in the game that was really refreshing to see it feels like we don't see a lot of that um but when it comes to Devin Booker's pull-up game, and the reason I brought up campaign in the first place, Booker is shooting 31% on pull-up threes this year. He takes about three of those per game. It's, it's, yeah, it's like if there's one thing, I think Devin Booker has made uh, great strides with his playmaking. He's made a certain amount of improvement with his defense. If I could lock Devin Booker in a gym for the next 12 months, or, or next offseason, if, if we can wait for this to come next offseason, if I could lock Devin Booker in a gym and tell him to work on one thing to come back with in the next season, it's that. It's pull-up shooting. Because yep. if Devin Booker becomes a good pull-up three-point shooter, it completely changes the angles at which any and all defenses, opposing defenses, can guard you. Like, the pull-up three-point shot is the thing that dictates what the what the opposing defense is and isn't able to do. And I think what's so interesting about the current NBA revolution is that you look just five years ago in the NBA, there were two guys in the entire league who could kill you with pull-up threes. Their names were Steph Curry and Damian Lillard, and, and they're still doing that to this day, right? But mm-hmm. what we saw from NBA defenses as a reaction to that uh, several years ago is drop defenses really became popularized, like what the Milwaukee Bucks have been doing for the right. past few years up until up until now, and I'm, I'm getting to that in a minute. Drop defenses were massively popular for the last few years, and it would just be like you knew that drop defenses don't work against amazing pull-up shooters, but you also knew that there were only two guys who could kill you 
from the pull-up three. And so you just circled the dates when you had to play Lillard and you circled the dates when you had to play Curry and you tried to do something else. But otherwise, you stayed with your scheme. You can't do that anymore. And, and it's been like, a, I don't want to pretend that it's been all this season. It's been a gradual thing. But over the past five years, each and every year, we see more guys pulling up from three comfortably. Like to the point where this year there's probably, I, I, I wasn't prepared for this, so I don't have the stat on hand. But like there's probably 20 guys in the NBA now who take at least five pull-up threes a game. Sure. And I'll look it up and I'll, I'll post it on Twitter after, after we're done recording here. Like you've got guys like Jalen Brown pulling up from three now. It does so much to break every defense in the NBA. And so, you know, to credit Devin Booker, I don't think Devin Booker should become Steph Curry or Damian Lillard. I don't think he should take 12 pull-up threes per game. I think he should continue to do what he does that separates him from every other shooting guard in the NBA, which is use his body in the post, get to whatever spot he wants from the mid-range. However, generally speaking, if there's a skill that Devin Booker hasn't made any improvement on for the past four years... While broadly speaking, the entire league continues to add that skill, that means Devin Booker isn't getting, he's not the same, he's getting worse because he's falling behind in what is a league wide trend. So, I, you know, I absolutely think if the Suns want to be like a deep, deep contending playoff team, um, Devin Booker already has almost the perfect offensive package, but there's just, there's just this one other little skill that it would be so amazing for him to add. I, I couldn't agree with everything you just said more. You nailed it. I won't add too much more to that because that, you basically summarize everything I think perfectly. I think for this team to reach its ceiling, Booker just has to get better at that. I, you see Portland is just decimated by injuries right now, right? They're playing with a ton of replacement-level players. But the reason why they still have a good record, they're just one game behind us, I believe, is, as of today. It's because Dame Lillard just breaks the defense, right? He just makes it easy on everybody yeah. to, to score and be efficient because everyone's just terrified that he was going to pull up from wherever. And it, Booker, it, again, I, I don't want him to lose the mid-range thing because, like you said, you, that full package is why he's such a good player. And particularly deep in the playoffs, I think that actually becomes more important, the ability to score in those half-court situations where the game is ground down, right? Those high-degree difficulty shots that every team has to take. So to have players that can make them, and the Suns have two, they're very fortunate in that way. I think that's why they're going to be a good playoff team. Um, you don't want to you don't want to discard that or anything. I don't want, like you said, him to go to twelve pull up threes a game. I think that's wrong. But he's got to do it more. The degree of difficulty to score efficiently is just too high on Devin Booker right now. So I think that's why his scoring is down. Right, it's twenty four points per game. Because there's more guys taking shots on this team now. There's more offensive weapons. You know, Chris mm-hmm. Paul is a very high usage. So you're not going to get as many spike games if you're just taking all twos. You got to make them all, right? right. That's the part of the thing about three-point shooting is it can really spike. And I, it's just like you said. I think you summed it up perfectly. It's the last missing piece of his offensive game that we need to see him add. And you know, the sky is the limit if he does. Yeah, no, exactly. Like I want to frame it in the right way. You know, like Giannis has flaws. Everyone talks about how Giannis right. can't shoot. He's still an amazing, you know, at the rate he's going, future Hall of Fame player. So it's not to say Devin Booker is bad because he doesn't shoot pull-up threes. I don't want to get Eddie Johnson on me. But uh, it's like if there's one identifiable skill that makes this guy unbeatable, it's that. And like, you know, Chris Paul, if we look at the two of them, Chris Paul doesn't even take a ton of pull-up threes, but he's been the better guy at doing that. And we see its impact in the fourth quarter when Chris Paul, you know, he, he gets four or five assists in a row and then he just kind of flips a switch and says, OK, I'm just going to pull up into a three now and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. And we've seen the impact that has on the game. And when Devin Booker is able to do it, which sometimes he can last night, for instance, 30 point blowout. So, you know, I, I think the, the value is just so obvious. Um, before we head to break here, I want to bring up one thing and I want you know, that's flipping to uh, to the defensive side. 
Mm-hmm. There's been nothing more perplexing to me. The Suns are a top 10 defense still. I think they're seventh as of today. Top five net rating in the NBA. Just this week alone, giving up 90 points to Orlando, 128 points to Brooklyn, 114 points to New Orleans, where they played some of the worst defense I've ever seen for three quarters, <laughs> and then some of the best defense I've ever seen for, for the fourth quarter, um, and then 97 points to Memphis. It's getting hard for me to figure out what is and isn't real with this defense, and I think a, a good amount of it is you just look at the personnel there. Orlando and Memphis are bad teams. Ja, last night, was trying to do everything with basically no personnel around him. Brooklyn is a very good team, for instance. Um, but also, like, does that worry you at all? Do, does it worry you watching the Suns and not knowing exactly what you're going to get from this defense night in and night out? A little bit, I would say. It's it's not my primary concern because I do think they're a good defense. And I think like every other NBA team, a lot of it just comes down to three-point luck. You know, the Grizzlies shot five for 33 from three last night. You're not going to have a lot of points if you do that. Right. Um, the Nets, the first half, the defense looked just fine because the Nets weren't making any shots. You know, we were blowing them out. Second half, they made every shot, especially in the fourth quarter. Jeff Green didn't even make like 4-3 or something like that. I mean, that, that's yeah. going to make your defense look worse. So there's some of that going on, but there's also some there's some flaws there. I mean, I think in that same fourth quarter, we can point to the Nets game. I don't know what the hell Monty was doing with Aiton in that game. It didn't make any sense at all. It was a complete catastrophe. I, um, I liked it. Did you? Well, I mean, it didn't work, but you, th- you think that that's the result of analysis. Uh, the, the, the first thing I'll say about that is the further we get away from the Nets game, yep. uh, the more I'm just willing to write off a lot of it, just like you were saying, to three-point luck. Like Jeff Green and Joe Harris hit everything. Yep. And, you, I mean, the Suns could have defended it better, for sure. Um, but like you said, in, in games like that, there's there's not too much you can do. You're kind of in a lose-lose situation when, you, when you're forced to either help. If you're Mikhail Bridges and Jay Crowder, and your guy is Jeff Green or, or Joe Harris in the corner, and you're forced to either help on James Harden or go out and, and contest the guy who's hitting everything, it's kind of a lose-lose situation. That being said, I, I kind of like what Monty was doing. Uh, I like the idea that... DeAndre Ayton needs to prove that he can go out there and switch on guards like that in the playoffs because ultimately I think he does need to do that. I think Ayton didn't hold up his end of the bargain. And and again, I'm kind of over that game now, so we don't have to talk about it at great length. But for whatever reason in that game, he didn't look, he just didn't look engaged. So it's a really interesting point that you just made there because there's a difference between trying to teach this team how to do things they need to do in the playoffs and just winning one discrete game, right? Yeah. If, that's, if that's game seven of the NBA Finals, you're probably not so happy with, with the way they played that game because you have to win the game in that situation. And I think, so, I, okay, from that standpoint, I get it. I agree with you. I think one of one of the selling points for Aiden, it's one of the reasons why uh, he has a lot of value defensively, is that he is one of the better bigs at being out in the perimeter, right? He has really good feet. He can stay with people. But I guess my, my counter to that would be, like, the Nets went so small that... Nobody, no big in the league is going to be able to defend that way. Uh, your yeah. only advantage is going to be having the big down low so that you know he'll get every single rebound. You force them to make every single shot. That would be your advantage in that situation. Like, if you're going to play with the big out up top like that, have somebody like, I don't know, like Crowder do, do it or something. You know, you don't need right. to have, necessarily do that. But I see your point that it's sort of a teaching moment thing, and it's interesting. And, and, and you know, maybe that, maybe in the long term we'll look back at this and be like, hey, that was really good that, you know, we had Aiden get cooked by James Harden there. Maybe he learned <laughs> some lessons there. Well, maybe he did. I, I don't know. I, I'd hope he did. Um, I, I think it kind of comes down to a philosophical idea, and, and probably anyone who wants to be a coach needs to think about this. To what extent are you willing to uh, play your game versus making mm-hmm. adjustments? You know, like we, right. we often talk about how we want the Suns to kind of, or I at least often talk about this, how I want Monty, and, and we'll touch on this in a bit too, to, to settle 
on a core group of guys and really mm-hmm. stick with that guys and, and not, you know, dictate different starting lineups every game depending on matchups because you want to settle on who, who are actually your guys. That applies to late game fourth quarter lineups too and kind of what you do with the defense. I will say something that's really interesting. This is a stat that I looked up recently and I, I think it really explains a lot about what the Suns are doing. Um, I was recently on the, the Locked On podcast with Brendan Clean. He's great. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I ranted to him about was how I don't like how the Suns are doing so much switching. And and it, that was two days ago, and I might have already changed my mind. Um, the reason <laughs> the reason I said that, it really de- it does depend on matchup. Um, I really complained when the Suns were doing this thing, if you remember, not in the most recent Pelicans game, but in the game before that. I posted some clips of Zion just getting whatever matchup uh, yep. he wanted because the Suns were switching on everything. The Suns came into the Pelicans game to, uh, this week, and they did less of that, but they were still doing some of it, whereas like Zion could get whatever matchup he wanted. Brandon Ingram could get a switch onto onto like Etwan Moore or something, right? Or, or Devin Booker, and it just became disastrous, and they could attack the guy that they wanted. One th- a benefit of the Suns doing that switch that I think often uh, uh, be, uh, doesn't go noticed. The Suns are giving up the second fewest corner threes per game. Mm. Um, among the NBA. I recently noticed a stat, and here's why I think it's interesting. You look at the four teams in the NBA that are giving up the fewest corner threes. It's the Philadelphia 76ers, Phoenix, the Clippers, and Utah. Four of the best defensive teams in the NBA, also four contenders, straight up, I think. Like, we could say four of the six or seven contenders in the league. Sure. I think what the Suns are doing is kind of interesting. Because, like, any time you're going to... If you're not going to switch, then a lot of times what you're doing is you're playing guys in like a high show. You're showing them at the level of the screen, right? And what you're doing when you do that is you basically concede a rotation. Like you're throwing an extra guy at the level of the screen. So you already know your guys, the the other four guys behind are going to have to rotate. A lot of times for the offense, the ball just kind of inevitably finds its way to the corner. The Suns are playing this very interesting conservative style. Um, conservative in the sense that by switching it just simplifies the whole thing and they don't really have to worry about complicating their rotations too much and I think that's a lot of the reason of why we see the Suns are like bottom five in the NBA in in blocks they're bottom five in the NBA in steals they're not Mm -hmm. allowing many corner threes and and yet here they are you know they're they're just they're one of the top five top ten defensive teams in the NBA I just think it's really kind of interesting because it's challenged a lot of my uh, prior conceptions about like what good defense in the NBA should look like I think it's a really good defense to play in the regular season, right? Because, like, over the regular season in some forms is just kind of a math problem, right? You're just trying to win the most games possible by just maximizing your efficiency on both sides. And I think the easiest thing defensively for the Suns to do is to is that system you just described, right? The switching system that doesn't allow corner threes, the most efficient shot in the entire NBA. But as you also pointed out, that system can lead in certain matchups to Zion just pulverizing people, right? So in a playoff series, when you're playing Zion seven times, uh, not that, that I think that will happen, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but if you did, I, I don't think you're going to want to do that, right? You're going to have to adjust that system yeah. because you're just going to get destroyed. So I think it's one of those things where, you know, it's, I think it's fine that they're doing it, and, I, and I, I appreciate the fact that we are a really good defense, we're winning a lot of games, but I, I really hope they have in mind that it's not going to work for them against some of the harder matchups in the playoffs, and so they're going to need to be able to figure out ways to, you know, have their good defenders go through. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Through screens and, you know, so Mikel stays on the best player on the other team and Booker's not guarding him. I think because, you know, otherwise we're just going to get cooked in the playoffs. And I think a good, a good game for, to, to see that is going to be tomorrow night. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm interested to see how they guard Dame. Yeah, I'm also really looking forward to just any any LA games we get. Yeah, right. We haven't had many of those. Those should be really fun. Um, I think I'm way past time here where I'm supposed to take a break. So we're going to take a quick <laughs> break. When we come back, Max, uh, I have to ask you about a certain rule that is uh, riling up a lot of Suns fans online. We'll be right back. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back. Uh, Max, we have to talk about Frank Kaminsky. Yes, we do. Honestly, I'm so, surprised. I'm surprised we've made it this far without mentioning his name. He's been a big part of this team lately, Sam. Um, and before we say anything else, I got to eat some crow here. Uh, you and I have had uh, disagreements in the past over Mr. Frank Kaminsky. I think you've been the one saying that he is an NBA player, and I've been the one saying he should be in <laughs> Russia or something. Uh, so I'm going to totally, I'm going to give you the floor to to gloat over me. Well, uh, Frank Kaminsky is definitely an NBA player, Sam. He is definitely an NBA player. I don't feel like that's gloating very much. Um, uh, here's what I'll say. Uh, Mike and I already kind of had some of this conversation last week. Mm-hmm. For those who are out of the loop, the Suns are 8-0 and when Frank Kaminsky starts. Last week when Mike and I recorded, they were 6-0. and Then Jay Crowder replaced him in the starting lineup against Brooklyn. The Suns lost. Jay Crowder was subbed back out, Kaminsky back in, and they won two more games. So they're still, you know, they're still undefeated. They're 8-0 and now. And I think I said everything I had to say about it last week, Max. I, I kind of said that I don't, like, the way I've heard it described, for instance, I saw a post on, on um, our Suns the other day, Suns Reddit page, mm-hmm. that was like, Frank is our starting lineup, Jay is our closing lineup, and that's effectively what's happening right now. Um, I don't agree with that being a good philosophy <laughs> is the thing. Yeah. But I've, I'm willing to make my peace with the fact, and this is what I said last week, I'm willing to make my peace with the idea that uh, Monty isn't going to go away from what's working, at least for the time being. Frank is going to keep starting until we see uh, a bad turn of luck for the Suns, and I think that's just the way it is. But, but how do you actually feel about, you know, you, you're willing to admit that he's an NBA player. How do you feel about him starting over Jay Crowder and, and so on? Um, listen, again, it's the regular season and it's working, so it's hard for me to be too upset about it. I think some of what he's benefiting from is some shooting luck for sure. 
Uh, I don't think he's going to shoot quite that well from three going forward. I mean, his efficiency numbers still aren't very good even with that, but he has kind of opened up the offense, I think. I think it really helps Aiton, it seems, to have him out there rather than Jay Crowder. It just kind of opens things up a little bit more for whatever reason. Uh, maybe it's the passing. I don't, I don't know. But I think it's kind of similar to the conversation we just had about the defense, right? I, I don't think you're going to get away with starting Frank Kaminsky in the playoffs, particularly not in the later rounds of the playoffs, if the Suns are so fortunate to make those. So to a certain extent, it's like, yeah, it's working now, but is it, if, what are you building towards? You know what I mean? Like, are you, are you, is he even going to play in the playoffs? Maybe. And that's the thing I actually want to ask you about in just a second here, but we'll, we'll stay on Frank for now. Like, I, I really don't like a results-based analysis. Like, yes, they, the only game they lost recently <laughs> was the one where he didn't start against Brooklyn or play at all against Brooklyn, but I wouldn't say that was the reason, would you? Well, <laughs> like, I don't think that's why it happened. They were, they were winning by 20 points a half. And, and I have a stat for it. The one stat I'll throw out here is I looked at what's the Suns' net rating over this 8-0 and streak. Mm-hmm. Because, look, I can't be a hypocrite too much. I'm the inventor of, of Bridges' law, which is 11-2, and two, by the way, for, for those who know what it is. The Suns are 11-2 and two when Mikhail Bridges hits his first three-point attempt in the night. Um, mm-hmm. So that's results. That's, you know, that's me. That's a meme, essentially. I don't actually believe that it has any bearing on the game, if we're being honest. Now, with Frank, over this 8-0 streak, the Suns have a plus 8.4 net rating when Frank Kaminsky's on the court. That's very good. Mm-hmm. They have a plus 15.7 net rating when he is off the court. Hmm. Uh, That's so, better, Sam. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I don't know what to do with it exactly. Because, right, like, I feel like the only reasonable analysis there is the Suns have been very good with Frank Kaminsky on the court, but their bench has also been amazing over the past eight games. So, like, it's not, it's, you can't say it's just Frank Kaminsky. He's not losing you games. But also, the bench has been amazing. Dario Saric returned. He's been fantastic. By the way, he had a season-high 19 points last night and continues to just look great, right? And and that's interesting. He's so good, dude. That's interesting. <laughs> I, love, I love Dario. Because it's the antithesis to what you're doing with Frank. And playing. you're going to play two bigs in your starting lineup, and then you're going to go small ball five all the time. It's it's just really weird with the with the mismatched lineups. But both of them are working. Uh, so, so I don't really know what, what complaints we can have about them for the meantime. I do think, ultimately, though, I agree with you, the Suns are probably wasting time, and eventually you can't start Frank against Kawhi Leonard, and you can't start Frank against uh, either LeBron James or Anthony Davis. Uh, so, you know, they, they got to figure it out eventually. Not to mention, you can't start Frank against Damian Lillard, I don't think, or uh, or Steph Curry when he comes right. when either of those guys come around those screens, but I guess that'll be put to the test potentially tomorrow. Yeah, no, I think you're right, and I, I definitely think you're right when you say we're going to see Frank going forward. I mean, Monty's a coach. He's a rather old-school coach, right? Although he's been more new-school than, than I think I expected, and that's been good. But he's not going to go away from Frank after the one time he did it. They lost. It's just not going to happen. They're going to need to lose a couple games first. But overall, I think... I think first. But overall, I think, I think at the end of the season, we'll look back on this as something that impact, <laughs> is my guess. Um, like you said, I think a lot of this is correlation versus causation. Like, I, you know, yeah. Frank started at the same time the good players, the good bench players came back. There's definitely some correlation, causation problems there. But I, I think, you know, I'm fine with Monty riding it. I guess is where I'll come down on this while it's working for now. I hope that, you know, later in the season as we're gearing up for the playoffs, we get a more playoff-looking uh, team on the, on the court. Being a good team is a beauty and a curse, or, or a blessing and a curse, right? Because uh, last week we labeled the Suns. We were like, are the Suns contenders now? And they're yeah. 19 and 10. I think it's fair to use that label for for them. Once you get labeled as a contender, it's kind of the expectations get raised and then people's anxieties heighten about every little thing, <laughs> you know, yeah, and so all, right, all the little right. moves that are made on the margins seem to take this up great importance. And Frank Kaminsky starting has kind of become the most recent battle that people are having online. 
Um, before we go here, I do want to throw it to a quick mailbag. Max, uh, I, I asked people Sweet. before uh, we were recording, I said that we'd have you on, and, and so I took some questions. Um, the first one that I think I'll say, uh, it seems like a million people already have questions about the buyout market and about mm-hmm. trades, and I think that speaks to exactly what I was just saying. Uh, Suns fans think that this is a contender now, and for once... We believe that we're one of the six or seven teams in the NBA that should actually become, be uh, competitive in the buyout market rather than having guys leave from our team to go sign elsewhere, um, which is pretty interesting, I think. It is. It's absolutely interesting. But it's it's also a really hard conversation to have, I think, because this team is so deep already yeah. that there's not a lot of moves in the margins that make sense. So I, I was looking at the just the overall team stats today. Did you know there are 13 players in this team, Sam, averaging 10-plus minutes per game? Yeah, it's, it's wild. I mean, it's hard to find minutes for anyone. Yeah, it's because, a lot, I mean, the reason why that's even possible is because of DMP is, right? Some players right. will just not play, and then they'll play 10. But that just shows you that this is a crowded team, and they have, they have, oh, too, yeah. many good, they have too many players who deserve to play, basically. Well, and so, so we, I, Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. You go. I was just going to say, so if you look at the playoff rotation, potentially, because that's what you have to look at when you're thinking about the buyout or trade, right? You're looking at who can we add that will be part of our playoff rotation. So right now, the, I, I would see if you agree with me on this. So Booker, Paul, Bridges, Aiton, Crowder, Sarge, obvious locks in the playoff rotation, right? Yeah. That's six players. And then I think Cam Johnson, that's probably safe to call him a lock too. I oh, think yeah. he's going to be in the playoff rotation. Cam Payne is pretty damn close to lock for the playoff rotation. Would you agree with that? They need, I mean, they might do the stagger between Book and, and CP3 to make sure Cam never has to handle minutes by himself. But they mm-hmm. need him for like 12 to 15 regardless, I think. Yeah, so that's eight players, right? And so yeah. you only play nine or ten players in the playoffs at most, right? Sometimes you play eight. Some teams do. I don't think this team will. This team's more of a deep team. But the Suns back in the day played seven <laughs> back in the yeah, day. Yeah, so. yeah, I remember that. I think there was even a game where they played six in that one season where everyone got hurt. Um, that was tough. But so the question you're going to you're going to go with then? So those are your eight. What do you need then? I, I think probably what sticks out is a, kind of another backup big, right? And so maybe that's yeah. Frank. Is that is that who that's going to be? Uh, it could be unless you get a better guy, and so and so. Right. Here's the here's the first question. Um, let me just credit someone here. George Lim asks any players we can sign off waivers or trade for, and he mentions um, Demarcus Cousins, Blake Griffin, Drummond could all be very good options. So, I wouldn't say all. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about it. So I I think Frank is the guy who's going to be your next big off the bench in the playoffs. Um, first of all, let's talk about this. This is assuming the Suns could cut Damian Jones. Mm-hmm. He's he's the guy who goes in in yep. any any of these events, and no one's gonna no one's gonna feel bad about that. Um, Demarcus Cousins, it was just announced yesterday. It's it's shaping up to be a very interesting buyout market because these are guys who all make not Demarcus Cousins, but at least the other two, Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond, make like thirty million dollars a year or more, and they're all flawed players in a sense. But the prospect of any of them actually being bought out, it's not something that typically happens. Like the prospect, for instance, Andre Drummond at $30 million is a very flawed player. He's not a very good offensive player. He's one of the best rebounders of his generation, but we know he commands a lot of touches and doesn't actually make smart decisions with the ball a lot of the times. And it's something that's plagued him throughout his career and led to people labeling him uh, not a winning player. All of that stuff is stuff you can argue about when a guy makes $30 million a year. When a guy gets bought out and suddenly he's the last guy on your bench, like Andre Drummond going to Brooklyn is terrifying. Something like that, like a player that talented playing for like $2 million for the rest of the year on Brooklyn is a terrifying proposition. So I think there is a thing here where it's like, is it an arms race? The Suns have this spot. They could get rid of Damian Jones and pick someone else up. And do you want to see other teams that you're competing with now get better while you stay the same? What do you think? 
So it's a, it's a loaded question. I mean, the answer is definitely no. You don't want to see other teams get better while you say the same. The the worry is that you're you're going to make yourself worse, right? And that's 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 the key here because I think whatever player you pick up, and I think we both have in mind a backup big. I think everybody has that in mind. Yeah. You need to make sure that person's going to fit in and do what they need to do within the scope of the offense, right? The, the worry when you bring in somebody like Demarcus Cousins, uh, Drummond as well, but definitely Cousins is. Those guys are former stars. You know, they're used to being stars. They're used to having big roles. How how happy are they going to be not playing at all on some nights and then on other nights playing, you know, five to eight minutes and being asked really just to rebound and play defense? It's all that they're going to be wanting to do. Like you said, Andre Drummond fancies himself quite an offensive player. He likes to take a lot of shots. We don't want that on this team. For sure. Not at all. And so and, I think, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, James Jones has a type too. That's probably exactly. important to yes. mention, right? And that goes right in with what I'm saying, exactly. That, that's why part of what this is, he's not, James Jones is not going to want to turn the team over in the backup units to a guy like Drummond or, or Boogie. He's going to want that person to play within the scope of the offense. And I, I, that's why I, I lean more towards players who I, who I just trust to not have the ego situation coming in. You know what I mean? Boogie is kind of hilarious because, uh, first of all, I don't think the fit is that good. I think everything that yeah. Boogie does well at this point, I'll give him credit for one thing. He can rebound in a way that Sarge can't because he's so big. But I think everything else that Boogie does at this point in his career, he's not a very good finisher anymore. He doesn't move very well in space. He shoots threes, but like not super well. And he he's you know he has good vision. He's always had good vision for a big. But I think everything Boogie does well, Dario just does better basically, yep. ex- except for the rebounding. Um, but the other thing that's funny about Boogie specifically is like uh, CP3 and him have a history where. A lot of it is just they're two very in- intense competitive players. Mm-hmm. But if you look back into the history of CP3 and Boogie, it's like a long, a, a very long timeline of them calling each other like immature publicly to oh, the wow. media, which is hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious. So, you know, I think for a long list of reasons, uh, Boogie doesn't make very much sense either. And, and he doesn't feel like a James Jones guy whatsoever. Can I say one one name I'm watching for? Aaron Baines. Mm, uh, naturally interesting. Aaron Baines is, I mean, you know, and, and it feels kind of obvious, right? But, like, he he's making, I think, about 6 or $7 million a year. But he's got a team option for next year, and he's not having a good season for Toronto. He's been the scapegoat for the Raptors of, of a lot of people talking about why is Aaron Baines starting? He shouldn't be starting. For the record, maybe that's true. But I do believe that there's a, a guy in there. You could still get the guy you had last year in Phoenix for maybe 10 or 15 minutes per game. I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, there, there, I haven't heard any rumors that he's actually going to be bought out, but it seems like it could be possible to me if he continues playing as poorly as he is. And even with him playing that poorly, I would I would definitely be looking out for his name. He certainly fits the culture. Then, you know, yeah, so no doubt. With- no, I, I think he fits almost everything. I think it's a really good uh, call by you. The one thing he doesn't quite have is the athleticism, which I would like to yeah. see. Which is why I think if Andre Drummond was actually dedicated to playing the role that we need him to play, that's pretty ideal uh, on a minimum or whatever. And I, maybe that's what Brooklyn will get. Unfortunately, I don't think he'd do that with the Suns. I don't think we've quite reached that level of, of you know, destination that a player like him would come in for a cheap contract and play that role. But I think we know Baines would fit into that role. He's already done it. So I, I agree with you. That, that one makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, Another guy, not as good, like, like JaVale McGee, a guy like that. Yeah. Like that's the yeah. kind of guy you're looking at here. Yeah, and someone mentioned JaVale McGee as, a, as another option the Suns should should trade for. Again, man, with Drummond, it's just like if Brooklyn gets Andre Drummond and really just unlocks yeah. his motor and convinces him to just chase balls for 15 minutes, 20 minutes a game, that team is is <laughs> they're really good. They're really and so good. are we if, we if we could do that. I just don't know yeah. if we can. That, I think that's my answer to everybody saying about the Drummond thing. It's like, yeah, and ideally it'd be amazing, but I just don't see it being realistic. 
McGee would require a trade, and so I'll, I'll address another question here from Mike Notham. He says, given the short-term ceiling of this team with CP3, how open to an aggressive win-now move should the Suns be at the trade deadline? Um, obviously, we've been talking about buyout candidates. That's easy. You just cut Damian Jones. But a trade, uh, how do you feel about that at this point in the season? Well, it's, I hate to say it depends. I'm going to say it depends. Very lawyerly of me. But it depends on what the trade's going to be, right? <laughs> like, I mean, if, if you know, uh, Kawhi Leonard states he doesn't want to be in the Clippers anymore, like Paul George here is ACL and he's just out, like, yeah, I would trade a lot to go get Kawhi Leonard and try to win this year, right? Because that, that gives you a real chance to win this year, a really, really good, good chance. If it's just on the margins sort of a thing, where I, I mean, maybe not on the margins is the wrong way to put it, but like a, a kind of a borderline all-star where I trade everything, like eight and everything, to go get that guy, say he's 32 years old or whatever. Maybe not. It's going to really depend on what the trade is. But I do think, you know, I question a little bit the premise that we're on a short timeline here. I mean, it's not 10 years with CP3, but who knows? I mean, he might be this good next year again, right? And maybe the year after, too. We don't really know. Um, he's defying age already. Once you're in the defying, like Tom Brady just showed us, once you're defying age, you know, it's kind of hard to put a restriction on you. But I, I do think that, you know, in all likelihood, this team does have a shorter window because of CP3. So I would be very, very aggressive um, in getting somebody who I think would actually give them a chance to win the title. I guess is how I'd put it. You know, it's kind of crazy because this entire time it's just been assumed that CP3 is, yeah, a two-year solution for the Suns and then they need to find the next guy afterwards, mm -hmm. which for the record, I believe too. But I've never really considered like, yeah, maybe he does this for three or four more years. Right. 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 That's, yeah, I know. I mean, John Stockton, uh, I was looking at the assist leaderboard yesterday because Chris Paul just passed Oscar Robertson. Congratulations to him, by the way. He's now sixth on the all-time assist list with like 8,000, close to 9,000 assists. And then John Stockton is up there with 15,000. And that's because he played until he was like 42. <laughs> and, so. and they're kind of similar, right? In the way they play, they're very floor generally. They don't rely on their athleticism, which is why I think they can play for yeah, so long. Like, There's not a lot Chris Paul does that I see falling off because of athleticism, you know? I mean, the shot just doesn't go away from him, and, and it seems like he's still got just as much quickness with his ball handling. I don't know. i got to yep. look it up. I'm not sure if John Stockton was a vegan, too. That might play into it or something, but uh, <laughs> no, that's I will what... say, if, if the Suns go on a deep playoff run this year, say they, they at least win a playoff series or maybe two, I, I think that the, uh, the, the possibility of an opt-out and extend is a real one with him. I can see him wanting that uh, assurity of a, you know yeah. maybe three more years or something. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy thought. Uh yeah, we just got to get to the playoffs this year first and see what happens. Yes, but we do. So, so many things could happen. Um, Zach Quinn here says, can you talk about Jalen Smith and what he's been doing in the G League? Because I see people already writing him off. Um, Max, I, I haven't watched anything beyond G League highlights. I assume you haven't either. But I thought this was an interesting question. And so I looked up the stats. Jalen Smith is playing in the G League right now for the Clippers affiliate because, unfortunately, we know what happened to the Suns affiliate. Mm -hmm. um, he's only played three games. Um, his per 36-minute stats, and I know it's the G League, but his per 36-minute stats in those three games, 29.8 points, 11 rebounds, mm. 2.6 blocks, 56% from the field, and he's also shot three for five from, from three. Uh, wow. Yeah, I mean, Jalen Smith. He, here's what I'll say in response to the question. I'm not writing... I think it's stupid to write Jalen Smith off as, like... He's never going to be stupid. <laughs> it's stupid. Well, it's it's stupid regardless, but it's definitely stupid to write off Jalen Smith uh, as a guy who was never going to do anything. Because if you watched him at all in college, even the even the like so called draft experts on Twitter, right, who pans the move at ten, what everyone agreed on about Jalen Smith was that this is a guy who played very well. He was a very good college player, and right. so I think it was never in doubt that he had a couple of NBA skills, his ability to shoot and his ability to like be a, a rim runner and finish off plays that would make him a guy with NBA skills. 
the question was always about ceiling. It was about can Jalen Smith actually live up to being a tenth overall pick? Can he be, can he play power forward enough to be like a starting four in the NBA one day, or is he just doomed to being a center? And if he is just a center, can he be a starting center? That was the mm-hmm. conversation about Jalen Smith. But basically, unanimously, everyone I've talked to has been like, yeah, give this guy a couple years and he'll be able to play 10 or 15 minutes as a backup center in the NBA at the very least, and that's his floor. So don't write off Jalen Smith. I think if the Suns are actually willing to develop Jalen Smith, he can absolutely be a rotation piece. The question is just how much of one. Unfortunately, you'd love to hit the, the acceleration button on that, right? Because he's exactly what the Suns need, <laughs> what we're talking right. about, right? And, and, and we'd yeah. love to have a fully developed version of him on, on this team right now. He's just too skinny right now, so you can't... Yeah, yeah. He, he's, but exactly. He's exactly what they need. He's just... And as far as the upside thing goes, I do want to push back on... That. Not what you said. You're right. Everything you're saying is right, the way you characterize the conversation. I'm pushing back on the conversation a little bit, I think. You know, I mean, I, I also agree that you don't get as much value at a center. I wouldn't take a center. Like, I wouldn't have taken James Wise number two. I think that's a mistake. But once you get past, uh, I don't know, maybe the top five, you're kind of throwing darts anyway. You're just looking to have a good player. And those kind of players can really work out. I mean, look at Bam Adebayo. The same things are being said about him. I'm old enough to remember, Sam. I'm I'm older than a lot of people listening, probably. Uh, (laughs) That was the conversation about Bam Adebayo, too. And he went 14th, I believe, to Miami, largely because of that. And that looks stupid now because he's an all-star. I, it's not, just because you're tall doesn't mean you can't be an all-star. Yeah. And I think Jalen Smith does have some really interesting skills. Like the, 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 if, if the shooting gets really, really good and the rim protecting gets really, really good, that's all you need, man. The the highlights of him, he, he takes the ball coast to coast a couple of times in these G League highlights. Like he'll block mm-hmm. a shot and then just he'll dribble. And mm. like that does things to me uh, that I'm ashamed to admit that it does. But like that's – it's just – I feel we dangerous. haven't talked about him very much this podcast, but there's somebody else in the Suns we'd like to see to that a little more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we mostly avoided the subject uh, this week, but but like just a big who dribbles. Yep. There's something about a man, you know. There's something about a man in the uniform. There's something about a big who dribbles. <laughs> it just really hits the spot. And uh, it's getting awkward. I'm starting to feel like a third wheel here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it's you know. Here's the thing about Jalen. I'd really like to see him pass. I've basically mm-hmm. never seen him like pass. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so that's, you know, like that's going to be a thing too. Uh, the thing that makes Bam so dangerous and, and all of these other bigs who dribble is that they leverage their vision and the dribble is mm-hmm. just kind of the vehicle to get them there. So if you can't do, you know, it, there's two parts to the formula and you've got to put them together. But just the fact that he has the confidence to do it in the first place, like we saw him in preseason challenge go bare on a closeout right. from the three-point line and then just go right into his body. He did that in preseason as a rookie. So I definitely think that the talent is there. It's just this team is so deep that he hasn't had the chance to play. I totally agree. I think that's something some fans aren't used to, right? We're used to our rookies playing and assessing them. And the fact that this team is too good for the rookie to play is a good thing. I mean, if we had drafted Josh Jackson this year, uh, he wouldn't be playing either, right? He wouldn't right. be good enough to play. So I, right. that's, I mean, and that's maybe a separate thing because he's just not good. But you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, and if we drafted Josh Jackson into this culture, though, I'd like to believe that, you know, maybe he wouldn't have been a superstar. But it might have right. turned right. out a lot better. I don't know. It could have been better, but he still wouldn't have played major minutes, right? No, I mean, he, he wouldn't have no. played above like more and all those guys. No, but it's like maybe CP3 could have taught him something or Jay Crowder, sure. as opposed to the guys who were in front of him back then. Um, Joe Garibay Jr. here says, uh, we might close out on this one. He says, against the Trailblazers, big game tomorrow. Do you see us winning or Dame being Dame? You want to go out on the limb with a with a prediction here, Max? Oh God, I I don't have a lot of faith against the, the, the Blazers. I'm scared of Dame. Dame just Dame is just the kind of guy who takes over games in a way that nobody on our team does. I mean, CP3's been, been flirting with it recently. But, this is uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, this is going to be just that game. Like everyone on NBA Twitter, I don't think it's on national TV. Uh, I didn't look, but it is uh, not, no. yeah, I think everyone on NBA Twitter is going to be watching this game. It's just one of those games. 
I think so. Well, I saw on the on the NBA app that uh, Nate Duncan and Daniel Lillard were doing their commentary no. league pass. So oh god! Jump I think we're blocking league pass in, in Arizona though, so uh, we won't be able to enjoy that. But you will, Sam. Oh, that's um, hilarious. Here's what I'll say though: I think we're either going to blow them out or lose in a close game. How about that? For what I look at it, I, I don't want to be in a close game against Dame Lillard. I guess is what I'll say. I mean, and and you have statistical evidence to say that you don't want to. They're eighteen right. and eleven. They're one game behind us in the standings. Eighteen and eleven. Their net rating is plus p- half a point. Which uh, I'm looking at their basketball reference uh, page here. They rank 13th in the league in net rating. They're sixth in offensive rating, which is just as good as the Suns, but they're 28th in defense. Mm. So they keep doing this thing. They just keep like a miracle. They keep outrunning fate, where they get into these close games and they should st- statistically, you would think, lose about half of the close games they're in, and they just win every close game. And some of that is luck, right? Some of it that will regress, but some of it, I don't know if you saw the. I'm sure you did the highlight of, of Dame versus Chicago at the end of the game. Some of it's that. Some of it, that's Portland has that guy and, and the other teams don't. So they're yeah. going to win more than their fair share and, of close games. And that's what I was talking about earlier with Devin Booker. I don't expect Devin Booker to ever become that. But when mm-hmm. you've got a guy who's like slowly, deliberately getting to his bright mid-range spots and then, you know, getting a two-pointer and then the other guy just comes down and hits a three within eight seconds, yeah. uh, it's not a fair trade-off in the fourth quarter. And, and a guy like Dame could definitely make you pay. And in I'm, Booker's defense, I think, so Dame, I mean, I love Dame. I don't want to slander Dame. I love Dame to the extreme. But he does fall off a little bit in the playoffs, especially the later rounds, because of the way the defenses adjust to him. He doesn't get those shots off anymore. He's forced into the mid-range. And I do think Booker has the, the leg up on him there. Even his own teammate, CJ McCollum, has been kind of their better player in the playoffs in certain situations. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, I, you know, I think that's basically the... Well, actually, I have one, one question here left in the, in the mailbag, Max. Uh, Scott Howard. Sure. Oh, God, no. <laughs> just asks, uh, ask what his favorite trivia team name is. I feel like that's an inside uh, joke. It is an inside joke. We we like to use the team name Dominating sometimes. Oh. So that might be what he's referring to. It's either that or the one criticizing Cliff Kingsbury. I'm not sure. It's one of gotcha. those two. Those, those, those both adequately represent your brand pretty well, I think. Well, in any case, so. uh, thank you to... Obviously, we couldn't answer every question. This wasn't a pure mailbag episode, but thank you to everyone who submitted one. Um, and thank you to you, Max, for, for helping me out here and saving the audience from just a, what would have been a, a horrible horrible episode of me rambling for an hour uh you are you are free to come on anytime um we always ask our guests here i don't know if you do but do you have anything you would like to plug um you know i don't have anything personal but i will plug uh my former uh, podcast co-host uh so great friend dave nash uh his newsletter is fantastic i'm sure a lot of people listening already subscribed to it but if you don't um look about it's the four point play on twitter uh, the four is roman numerals you can find his newsletter there it's it's great every Suns fan should be reading it absolutely i will co-sign that any day of the week um well thank you max um and thank you to everyone for listening we will be back next week thank you very much sam Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.